The Car Guys Report is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. I'm Howard Sudbury. Good for you. Oh, and I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, we're going to talk about the holidays. We're going to talk about snoring on airplanes. We're going to find out what precipitation pie is. Persimmon. You just spoiled it. I mean, it is absolutely riveting. My goodness. That's on the next Back to You with... With a lot of luck, the Steve Baskerville. (laughs) And I'm Howard Sudbury. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to You, an OPI show, only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you along here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. And we always like to uh, start the show by just uh, having some chit-chat as far as what's uh, happening in our car world. And I've got a couple of uh, quick little topics to uh to talk about here lou we had in your absence uh our man in the field when he was on the show that was uh, roger rex road he's kind of one of these uh hobbyist detailers with his cars he's always um doing uh, the latest and greatest in uh, chemicals and things to make your car look great and he was talking about uh, ceramic spray are you familiar with that I I am not. Tell me about ceramic you know, spray. I bought some, and if it if it's half as good as they say it is, it's going to be pretty good. It's basically like the new way to uh, wax your car. You know, uh, traditionally what I've been doing the last uh, you know with my collector cars the last five years is uh, you know probably and this sounds crazy, but once a year you know I try to wax you know I'll, I'll wash the car, I'll clay it, and then I would paint seal it. And then carnuba wax it, so that would give it a nice, smooth shine, protected. And obviously, these cars aren't be driven aren't driven every day. They're they're kept inside, so they stay very clean. But um, I mean, granted, you know, it's a pain in the butt to try to wax a '58 Impala. That's like a three day affair, especially with carnuba wax. Because I'm I'm still a traditionalist. I do everything by hand. I don't do the the buffer thing. And I know that would probably or the orbitals that would probably save a lot of time. But what ceramic sprays? I don't understand all the science behind it. But ceramic is obviously a very hard substance, and they have all kinds of different ceramic sprays out these days. And all you do is basically you'll wash your car and you'll clay it so the paint is nice and clean and smooth and all the contaminants are removed. And then all you do is you take this ceramic spray, comes in a little bottle, and you just kind of mist it on, um, like on the roof, you know, where you start. You always work from the top down. And then you just take a microfiber and just kind of gently... Uh, massage it back and forth so it kind of just spreads out and hazes over and then you just take another microfiber and just buff it off and that's it and you don't have to wait for it to dry you don't have to sit there and you know do all the stuff you do with wax you can do a whole car in half an hour and i gotta tell you um i did the uh, aston martin the corvette's going to be next and it really brings out a nice gloss to it just really makes the stuff pop and since ceramic is a very hard substance it's supposed to you know it's supposed to be like a one year you know last for a year which is pretty typical so like i said i'll give it a try and and see see how it works if it works half as good as they say it'll be worth it and this stuff was like 20 bucks which is about the same price as you're going to pay for a high quality wax so 
I'm I'm kind of enthusiastic about it at this point, mainly because it's just a time saver, and so far the results look good. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, good good news. Um, I did have a friend that that did it on his uh, Jaguar. He's got an XF uh, Jaguar, which is the midsize four door uh, sedan Jag, and his car is black. And uh, he had it uh, at his where he golfs, and he said that they were while he was out on the links. They were restriping the the parking lot, and there was a lot of little. Um, I don't know what kind of paint they use when they do the striping. It's kind of some kind of weird, you know, paint. But they said that there was a bunch of little like splatters of paint that were getting on some of the cars, and they let him know because his car got got some of these splatters on it. And he said that literally the stuff just wiped right off. Wow. Didn't, didn't do any damage to it, and, and that's because he had his car ceramic coated. So we'll see what happens. But you can do it yourself, too. I know that there's a lot of detail shops that are probably promoting it and charging you big bucks for it. But this is something you can certainly do at home. And, um, you know, like I said, I'll report back and, and see what happens. But in that uh, kind of artistic, uh, waxing, keeping your car looking great kind of thing, uh, Lou, I did run into a very interesting guy at a car show uh, recently, too, um, you know, when you pull into a car show, you never know who you're going to be parking next to unless you arrive with a with a buddy or a group or whatever. And you usually start talking to the guy uh, next to you. And this gentleman, his name is uh, Ricky Bendinelli, and I uh, told him about our podcast. And hopefully he's been listening because he says that he likes to, when he works, he likes to just have something on in the background so he can just kind of get into the zone and do whatever. And what this guy is, is he's an old school pinstriper. Which is totally cool because he had a, I think it was a 52 Chevy pickup. And, um, you know, I was asking about his car, his truck and he said, I said, did you buy it that way? He goes, yeah, pretty much the way it, it was done. But then I did the pinstriping and I was looking at the pinstriping even before I, I talked to him. I go, you know, that's really pretty good stuff. And it's all just a beautiful hand done um, pinstriping. And I was just talking to him about, you know, it's kind of a lost art. There's not that many people that seem to do this stuff anymore. I don't know how these guys can do a straight line. I know it's unreal. It is just unbelievable. And there's no, you know, they're just doing it. Like you said, freeform. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And he said that he actually gets, he, he not only does cars, but he'll do, he'll do things like wall murals and obviously like lettering and things like that. But he said he also gets a lot of business from, he said, uh, antique, uh, collectors, a lot of people that use uh, or have coin-op uh, machines because those were sometimes decorated or hand-painted in certain ways. And it's just, he was just a fascinating guy to talk to. And it's really cool that he's, he's to me, it's kind of a lost art because I grew up in a world, uh, in my car formative days, you know, 40, 50 years ago, there wasn't really that much in the way of custom pinstriping on cars. I remember buying um, just the vinyl pinstriping at uh, like Kmart and pinstriping, you know, my dad's Buick and, you know, whatever, uh, using the vinyl tape. And I always thought that was fun. But just the hand, you know, the artistry that you would see like it back in the 50s and 60s where people are doing this stuff. And here's a guy, uh, he's known as Bendy, B-E-N-D-I. So, um it was just very fascinating talking to him, and I think it's very cool what he does. Because one thing that I was telling him about, too, I said I had uh, a week or two before I met him, uh, I had uh, been at a car show, and there was a 1928 Buick that was just beautifully, beautifully, beautifully restored. And to me, the crowning touch on this car, it was a two-tone. It was like a really deep blue, then it had some slightly lighter blue on it. But since it's a, a four-door 
a huge four-door car. It had, uh, you know, basically the square windows on it because that's what they did back then. And around framing each window was just the tiniest, tiniest, thinnest. It must have been a sixteenth of an inch pinstripe. And the corners were just perfect. And that's all done by hand. That's amazing. Yeah, and even 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 Bendy was telling me, like, yeah, you know, you have to get, like, the tiniest little brush to do that. And you're just doing it freehand. I and mean, it's just amazing. It's just, it's, it's unreal. So uh, congratulations to, uh, to Ricky Bendinelli of Bendy. That's his custom hand-painted artwork by Bendy. And um, it's just nice talking to him. So I hope that uh, he continues to uh, be able to uh, pinstripe cars for as long as he is able to, because it's something that is definitely uh, neat and exciting. Anything uh, exciting happening? I know we talked uh, a couple episodes ago. Lou, uh, do you ever see any neat pinstriping on cars that you've videotaped or stuff like I was just talking about on the 28 uh, Buick? Well, I do have a pinstriping story. Oh, great. So, great. Let's so hear it. 1980. Um, was my first new car purchase, and because I had so much cash, I bought a Dodge 024. Now, the Dodge 024 that nobody remembers... Oh, I remember that one. ...was a Mm two-door... With the hatch? With a hatch. And the kind of slanty front end? Slanty front end. And people would be interested in the Shelby version, Mm -hmm. and they kept those, but all the O24s must have evaporated. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it, the O stood for Omni, Dodge Omni. The two stood for two doors, and the four was the four cylinders. Didn't they make a GLH version of that, the the Shelby? No, they did a four-door I know they did the four-door GLH, but... That that would mark, you're talking about a great idea. This Dodge had no great idea. (laughs) But you said they made a Shelby version of the 024? They they did make a Shelby version of that one. They called it the Charger. Okay, okay. So it was a Shelby Charger, and that probably came out in like 95. Uh, not 95, maybe 85, something like that, through about 92, 93. But the Dodge 80024, I've still never seen one since. Mm-hmm. But somehow I got a hold of a guy. I said, you know, I want him to do a little original thing. I'll do some pinstriping on it. Okay. So I found a guy who was a pinstriping. Apparently, he used to do pinstriping for the circus before he got to my car. So you had Bozo and a bunch of clowns <laughs> on your car. <laughs> just my, just my, do your stuff. I'll be back in a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I left him alone. It was a big bad decision i had a black bottom and a red top and somehow he used white and yellow and black wow and i mean you would just visually hear the song when i drive down the road it's just terrible i mean it was almost the guys were turned off girls were turned off i mean the only people who enjoyed it were like grandmothers mm-hmm. who looked at it and goes oh it's the circus has come to town and i'm driving out because you didn't go to bendy that's what your problem there. i made a big mistake yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh okay well and then what happened to that car I put 94,000 miles on wow. it, and I sold it to a, uh, what? well, at that time, yeah, that was a while, and I sold it to a uh, neighbor. Okay. And, and then I never seen it But you're again. right. I haven't seen an 024 in ages. I mean, yeah. ages. Yeah. It's, I, I'd love to video one, but I don't think it'll happen just, you know, 
I don't think I can. Have find you ever one. not to get totally off topic? Sure. but Have you ever done a GLH? The Omni GLH. I haven't, okay. and I'm kind of w- waiting for the right one. And let me define what I mean by that. So the YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou. So a couple of things have to happen. Number one, I have to find one. Number two, I have to find the owner with it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll see one just parked, and I'll go yeah. there, and somehow GLH owners, uh, the GLH stood for uh, goes like hell. Yeah, exactly. And apparently mm-hmm. they go like hell once they park it they yeah. just run away from the car for some reason so i never can find them along with the car but yeah i think that would be a fun little four-door and i'd like to get a ride one i'd like to see what they mm-hmm. what they kind of ride was, like. to me it was a competitor to kind of like the uh, volkswagen rabbit mm-hmm. at the time yeah because the, it was the, the, the golf same exa- gti yeah, yeah. The, the, G, the whole gti thing yeah because yeah. the exact same body style exact same size same powertrain and they're just amping it up and having yeah. fun with it. Yeah. But uh, I could have sworn they made it. But you're right. The Charger was the, was the Shelby version then. Yeah, so. they, they they did a Daytona. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They called it a Daytona. Yeah. And then they called it a, a, a Shelby Charger or Charger Shelby. And it was a mockery of the Chargers yeah. in the 60s and, you know, a mockery of the Daytonas. I mean, oh, my gosh. It should never <laughs> have that name connected to it. But. <laughs> Um, and, and, and the funny part is Mark, and you know this, and I've said this before, cars do get better looking with age. Mm-hmm. So now when you see one of those, it, it will, actually looks pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You will kind of stop and say, not only do you remember that, but you can see some of the cues yeah. in the line. So, yeah. so I do have a couple of those that I've, that I videoed on the channel from the nineties and the, and the late eighties, but it's, it's hard to find an 80 024, that's for sure. Cool. If you like what we're doing here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. It's the Car Guys Report. It's available online at radiomisfits.com. You can follow us at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter. And of course, you can email us at any time. We'd love to hear from you. Car Guys Report at hotmail.com is our email address. You know, uh, Lou, Cadillac is one of these brands that uh, have a lot of great ideas, but sometimes they can never seem to get the ex- execution or the or the momentum continued to flow. And, you know, they're trying something again, which I think is awesome. They've got a brand new uh, engine that they have designed from the clean sheet. Uh, it's not related to anything like the uh, Corvette engine or anything. It's a clean uh, sheet design. It's called the uh, Cadillac, and I love the name, Blackwing. It's a twin turbo V8 clean sheet design, and it's exclusive to Cadillac. And uh, they debuted it in the new uh, CTSV. Um, it's a 4.2 liter engine. It's got uh, the um, turbos in the valley between the cylinder banks, which is what the Europeans, the BMW, and um, Mercedes have been doing that for a couple of years. And I still don't see how they can control the heat. I just wonder how that works. But they somehow have it down so this hot V arrangement doesn't uh, melt the hoods or anything. But they can cram up to 20 pounds of a boost in this thing. Cranks out 550 horsepower and 627 pound-feet of torque, which are great numbers. And um, From a 4.2 liter. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's twin turbo. I mean, that's actually not stressing that engine out at all. Yeah. I mean, that thing could be good for well over that. I mean, well, let's think about this. A 4.3, that's like a 263 or a 260. It's uh, Yeah, it's about a 2, yeah, about that. 260, yeah. maybe a 283, yeah. something like that. And um, that's you know, double the double the horsepower per cubic inch. Oh, sure it is. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's very close to the. They're comparing it to the Mercedes uh, AMG uh, engine, uh, the uh, 
that would be the uh, four liter uh, V8, I believe. Yeah, six hundred and three horsepower in the Mercedes, five fifty in the in the Cadillac. Of course, the the supercharged engine they had in the previous CTSVs were uh, 550 horsepower and 555 pound-feet of torque, but those were supercharged, and that was based, uh, that was an LS engine. So this is a completely different architecture, obviously, with the turbos, and it's kicking out a heck of a lot more torque, and it's showing up in a... What was the torque on this one? 627 pound-feet, which is a lot. And the thing is, they're mating it to the 10-speed automatic trans that uh, GM... uh, developed uh, along with ford which has been getting pretty good reviews as far as 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 a multi-speed automatic goes it's not the ubiquitous uh, zf uh, eight speed that has shown up in like every other car in the world these days but they're claiming the ct6v that is the correct uh, nomenclature for this car and i believe they only made a limited number of these two because this was a little while back this that this was announced and i thought they had sold out pretty quick and they weren't sure what else they were going to do with this engine i'm like come on you've built this thing it's it's a great car. They're saying 3.8 seconds to 60, which is awesome. And I'm not a big Cadillac fan for the new stuff. I love their stuff from the 50s and 60s. Um, I just hope that they can finally get their act together and continue to make something like this because they need a halo car. And Is it a two-door or a four-door? It's a four-door. Okay. Um, That's the problem. Well, but they had a two-door. They had the CTSV. Uh, um, which had, back in you know maybe ten years ago, but is that the one with the, the two exhaust in the center? Yeah, the one that's real kind of angular. Yeah, yeah, kind of looks ex- like the Batmobile. Yeah, it's got the exhaust in the center yeah. though. When you look in the back yeah. of it, and it's yeah, it's a cool looking car. Yeah, that that was good. That was an awesome car. But why do they put it in the four door? Because they don't make a two door right now. Yeah. They, the only two door they make is. Um, is a lower-end uh, ATS, I think it is, a Caddy ATS. Okay. And that isn't designed, I don't think that the engine would fit in that in that uh, body style. But who knows? We'll have to see what happens. But it's a, it's a cool engine, and I'm glad that, you know, they're actually, it's amazing that in 2019 they would actually bring out a clean sheet design on a V8 because everyone's going to V6s, everyone's going to four cylinders, and the V8s, you know, the V12s we know are numbered, but they keep saying that the V8s are kind of even uh, numbered in, in uh, you know, how much longer are, are they going to keep making V8s for cars too because of just, uh, you know, environmental issues and, and things like that. But uh, good to hear that Cadillac has uh, brought out this black wing v8 and we'll see i think that'd be a neat engine to plop plop into the um escalade too it would definitely work in that um you know because the the engine that's in the escalade now is like 400 horsepower 460 it's a it's a good engine but this thing would would uh knock that up even higher so we'll have to see what happens and wait and see but uh that's what cadillac has been up to lately just even even that that comment right there an escalade with 550 horse why not I, I agree, but I'm just saying that people would snap that there's up nothing, in a second. But there's nothing worse than getting blown away by an, by an Escalade. SUV. Yeah. yeah, well, you know when you're when you're driving your '58 Fuelly, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden an Escalade just walks on you. You know, I mean, it's you know, and it's a mom. Yeah, it's a mom. You know, and she's got she, <laughs> she's you know got the grocery bag in one hand and she's waving to you with the other hand. It's just oh gosh. Well, that's the world we live in. We live in the world of, uh, you know, I was reading an article in, um, I think it was in uh, 
I don't know if it's, it might have been uh, Car and Driver, one of my car magazines, Motor Trend maybe it was, uh, recently. They are talking about one of the new uh, McLarens. And they said, this car does 0 to 60 in only 2.7 seconds. And he said, did I just write that? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I mean, that's like I said, that's the automotive world we live in these days. When you can get blown away by a, a, a 5,000, 6,000 pound SUV and you're saying, your car is 0 to 60 in only 2.7 seconds? Right. And I saw, I saw, um, uh, what was it? Um, Ford has their 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 Explorer ST version mm-hmm. of it, or something yeah. like that. Which yeah, is the new. The, it's a four hundred. Uh, it's it's got the the EcoTech V six. It's like four hundred horsepower or something <laughs> with the twin turbos. Yeah. Is it the four or is it the six? It's the six. Four hundred. Okay. Yeah, it's the six. It's the twin turbo EcoTech V six, and they have it tuned in that. Uh, application. I think it's 400 or 405 horsepower or something like that. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, speaking as we um, continue on here at the Car Guys Report and Foreign Automotive, we'll keep in this U.S. Uh, uh, U.S. automaker uh, vein right now. And I came up with yet another list, Lou. 11 U.S. auto innovations, something that we've touched on here and there, but this is another list of of. Uh, things that we pretty much take for granted these days and they were all pretty much debuted developed by auto u.s automotive manufacturers and some of the cars that they debuted on were pretty cool do you have any idea any guess lou when cruise control came out something that we take uh for granted these days i'm gonna say cruise control probably was a cadillac product and it probably came up uh was it lincoln you know you're close okay and uh, I'm going to say 55. Close. Not bad. 1958 Imperial. Oh, okay. And the Imperial, the reason I was saying close is because... Yeah, high end. People have to remember that Imperial was its own brand or its own mark, actually. It wasn't, you know, a lot of people mistakenly call it a Chrysler Imperial, but it, it was a, its own mark to compete with Cadillac and Lincoln. So it was the 1958 Imperial that cruise control debuted on I, I like i like the way you did that let's play this game you you give me the innovation and i'll guess the, the car automatic high beams well, that's cadillac um well the, actually the, yeah some the, of these i don't have the exact the autronic tie autronic eye correct yeah some of these don't have the exact car but but the time that it came out and what they were called the autronic eye was automotive high beams my friend who's got the 1958 buick yeah who was a guest on our show again when you were gone uh, a while back he's got a functioning autronic eye on his 58 limited right on the dashboard that's one of the number one things people ask him at car shows is what's that thing on the dashboard to the left with a little magnifier on the front yeah it's got a vacuum tube in there and it somehow uh, sees the light. sees the intensity of the light and yeah switches Flips the high beams off, off and on and then they also have auto on headlights which which GM debuted um, and that was called the Twilight Sentinel was the uh, name and I believe those showed up on both Buicks and Cadillacs originally what I want to say but those were both in the mid fifties but Autronic Eye real good Lou that I'm impressed because now we take auto- automatic headlights and automatic high beams for mm-hmm. granted because I have cars that have both those features. And um, it's just something again that we just uh, assume has been around. My, my wife's come up with a with something. It's called <laughs> the it? automatic vanity mirror. Yeah, okay, you know, it comes down as soon as she gets in the car. <laughs> like, how, how does that work? It's the automatic vanity mirror. Go ahead. Uh, this is an easy one. The electric yep. the electric starter. 
You should know that, oh, that one that, off that's the top of your head. Ford, right? No. Really? No, you didn't know. You don't know wait, this wait, one? Wait, 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 wait. The automatic starter. Electric starter. Electric starter. Not crank. Electric. Yeah, this is a classic. This well, was by, um, well, what's his this name? Would be, uh, this would be, um, I, I know why they did it. They did it because. So you wouldn't break would, your arm trying to crank well, start no, your car. No, they actually did it because. They wanted to make and they cars for women. Women, exactly. And, and yeah. they didn't want the women out there trying to crank over the car. Yeah. So so it wasn't Ford, is no. what you're telling me. Okay, no. go ahead. Cadillac. Who was it? 1912. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 1912. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's up there. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was probably you, you figure the Model T was 1909. If you ever have a list of like you know the ten most important automotive innovations ever, the electric starter's got to be like yeah, that's at or near there. the top. You know, yeah. at the top or that's, just that's right, right up there. behind wheels. Yeah, actually, <laughs> the wheels were the first gasoline. part of the car. <laughs> wheels were the first part, and then the automatic starter. And uh, okay, now oh, air conditioning. Hmm. I'll give you a hint. It's a car that you recently taped for your uh channel okay air conditioning another luxury make uh cadillac packard packard 1939 really yeah now i i was in a 36 packard recently that had a heater and mm-hmm. i mean an actual yeah. i mean this was like a standalone to- like a toaster yeah type heater and it was almost like a switch that you turn it so on. so it, did it have electrical elements in it yeah okay i mean this thing would melt your melt your pants right yeah. right off your legs i mean so because a lot of cars yeah but i, mean, I didn't know the air conditioner air conditioning 1939 uh debuted by packard and by 1969 so only uh 30 years later half of all the cars sold in the u.s had ac which is amazing. I mean, most houses didn't have air conditioning. No, no. In, in, and, in the sixties, and as a kid, growing at least, up, at least in the neighborhood I grew up in, we never had air conditioning in any of our cars. Or when I was or a kid, our house. Our house, we had it. Actually, my dad put it in himself. He put central air in in like seventy five, I think it was. Yeah, but that was in the seventies. Yeah. yeah, but he added it to the house. The house didn't right. originally come with it. The house right. was built in like sixty three, uh, but we never had any of the cars that we had as a kid. Never had air conditioning. And, uh, I, one of the cars I'm looking forward to videoing in the next couple of weeks is, um, I believe it's a 55 Oldsmobile. And the air conditioning, one of the reasons why I want to video it is because it has air conditioning. And the air conditioning on these cars looks like Michelangelo design. Oh, yeah. I well, mean, a lot of them have those huge clear tubes on the back deck. And they have, like, compressors in the trunk. Crazy. And, yeah, it's, it's and, pretty neat. And the piping yeah. and, the, and, the, and the brass. And yeah. it's it's amazing yeah, artwork it is yeah um but that's the air conditioning story now this one i would take uh i, I marked it down on the list as debatable but uh and we're talking about mainstream production cars here when turbocharging was introduced and they're calling um, this a u.s americans yeah, yeah no I, I i can't believe americans and, but produ- we're talking production we're talking production okay. vehicles though not not well, that's sounds- not your, your asas okay. or think, your you know see. not your one-off all right, thing. let's think. Turbocharging. You, sh- you should remember this one because you have you've done. We've talked about at least one of the cars. Is it the Buick Grand National? No, no, it'd be much earlier than that. But that goes oh, along with my oh, debatable. Is it, is it more like a Cord or something? No, or? it's in the sixties, mid sixties. Corvair. Sixties. Okay, yeah, the, the Monza Corvair. Yeah, sure. And then um, the there were a handful of I think they were F eighty five Oldsmobiles that were turbocharged as well. Oh, really? Yeah, like in the early sixties, like sixty three, sixty four. Huh. Yeah, but I'm I'm taking this as a debatable thing because being a Saab guy. I kind of mark 1977 when the Saab 99 Turbo came out as being the 
debut of reliable production turbocharging in a mainstream car because the Saab, you wouldn't call it Saab mainstream just because it's limited production, but it was a mainstream car. It was a, a sedan or a, a two-door sedan or a four-door sedan or whatever. But they, but Saab had developed turbocharging to the extent that it was a reliable thing because those early Corvairs, I don't know how reliable the turbos were on those. I mean, mm. you know, so that that was my, own, my only thing that I added there that I would kind of consider the, the Saab 99 turbo as being mainstream turbocharging even though it's not a u.s thing but sequential turn signals and that's one that, that you should that would be uh a cougar uh yeah mercury yeah uh ford thunderbirds so and mustangs six, so was that in uh, the 60s the 60s and we we're talking sequential turn signals those are the ones that that start blinking and then they kind of make their way to the end of the the thing and then start over so so the one's closest to the license plate and then they move moves outward yeah right yeah and ford was basically the innovator there with thunderbirds mustangs and then the cougars had them i remember those definitely i always thought those are cool when you get and and a lot of the new i wait i wait for a car with sequential tail have you seen some of the new audis I wait for them to turn. Yeah, they're so cool. It's cool looking, and a lot of the new Audis are doing a, a kind of a modified sequential turn signal with all the LEDs and the taillights yeah, now. And just, they're doing something where it's like because they go so fast. Because when you see an LED, you know, instant on and off, it doesn't have that incandescent momentary yeah. like fade. And uh, Audi's got one now. I'm trying to remember what it looks like. If it's like more like an arrow, or it's just a line that just kind of like pushes out yeah, to the outside. Out. Of the car. Yeah, and it's going yeah. really quick. So it's pretty cool that that they've kind of uh, rediscovered the sequential turn signals. But you're right, though. I do kind of like I like watching the old ones, the the Thunderbirds I, and the I Cougars. Like, and I stuff. like watching the Mustangs now. Yeah. And you see a Mustang, you know, roll. I'll, I'll actually slow down to get behind it, and then I hope yeah. he makes a left or yeah. a right or something like that. Yeah, cool stuff. Yeah. Power steering, something that we definitely take for granted wow. these days. I didn't know that was American. Um, yeah, because we're lazy. <laughs> we want air conditioning. Well, we want well, power I, brakes, power steering. <laughs> well, I, you know. We don't want to yeah, drive. We okay, don't want to exert ourselves when we drive. Come on. Power steering, that sounds like something that Cadillac or Lincoln would have came up with. <clears throat> Chrysler. Chrysler came yeah. up with and it, and actually, uh, later in this program, we're going to have a, a, a segment on Chrysler Innovations, too. So you could say that that could be one of their innovations. 1951 was when Chrysler debuted power steering. And then another Chrysler wow. innovation. And this one, again, I take a little, because uh, we had talked about this once now, before. Now, let's pause for a second. Yeah. How many you've driven cars without power steering? Oh yeah, Armstrong power steering. That's what you used to call them because yeah. you're using your arms. And you got to yeah. Arr. And the steering wheels used to be pretty big. wide, big, yeah, yeah so, wide diameter, very thin rim. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of the last car that I've driven that didn't have power steering. I mean, because if you're driving something from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Well, my, my Saab, uh, my 96, oh, really? although it was built in 1980, that has manual steering. I take that back. I and my Alfa Romeo Yeah, I had a 65 Chevy without power. Yeah. 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 Those are the two cars that I've owned in the last five years that still had manual steering. But it's not so bad. Like on the Alfa... And on the Saab, you think that the Saab's got all the weight up front with the front-wheel drive and, and everything, but it's it's rack and pinion, though, and I always think that car has an amazing road feel because you're not getting anything dulled by anything But it's not hydraulic. a real big, heavy engine. No, it isn't, exactly. Either. No, but so. it's heavy enough, but you're not sweating it. It's not like trying to, you know, like if my Impala didn't have power steering. Oh, you'd be, be in trouble. Like, yeah, you'd be, pff, you'd be stuck in the parking lot all day. But, yeah. Um, 
But you wouldn't have to go to the gym after that. No, no, because you'd have, <laughs> as our man in the field, Roger Rexford, says, you'd have Popeye arms. Yes. <laughs> ABS brakes. Now, this is another one that I would uh, take ABS. a little bit. And this is this is only on the rear. They didn't have uh, four-wheel ABS. Is that a Pontiac? Uh, uh, another Chrysler. Another Chrysler. Yeah, see, there's a reason why you drive a Viper. Huh. Yeah. A 1971, one of the giant uh, Chrysler boats that we were talking about uh, in last episode or a couple episodes ago uh, 1971 Chrysler was on the rear only and and one thing I, I failed to um, check out on this list was when four wheel ABS was kind of standardized I'm not sure probably the Mercedes I think was probably one of the first ones there hmm. but the Jetson FF was um, actually had ABS uh, system developed by Dunlop and that was in the late 60s i believe that was a, a four-wheel drive jensen that had uh abs brakes on it and that was a, again a kind of a limited production car so they're probably not considering it to be a mainstream car but again that was my caveat or my my note there uh and this one you'll love and we uh my well i won't say because i'll give it away then deformable bumpers pontiac yep the famous endura bumper yeah. 1968 yeah. The GTOs had it. My Firebird has it. Yeah. Uh, Camaros had them later on, not real early on. And then I don't know how many other. Well, now Chrysler had some of those too, didn't did they? they? Yeah, I think everyone forming. did at some point. Yeah. yeah. Enduro was just basically their term for a flexible plastic. Uh, and it kind of became, started the whole trend of getting rid of a actual metal chrome bumper on the car and having a body-colored plastic covering on front and rear fascias and that's a that could actually be considered a, a revolutionary design element too because it really i think enabled cars to be designed much more aerodynamically and much prettier than just always hanging a big chrome bumper on it you know so but deformable bumpers uh 1968 uh pontiac uh, now this one is this is kind of a real wide open uh, thing exhaust emissions and you could say like well catalytic converters or um you know oxygen sensors things like that um and this one wasn't uh, just across the board i guess in in most cars in the u.s they said 1961 they debuted the positive crankcase ventilation or pcv valve mm. so and that's something that you don't even really hear about anymore i think some modern cars still have some version of a pcv valve in there but if you have an old car and it's not running very well or you've got these like weird oil consumption problems it's always like the easiest thing and people forget about it these days is change the pcv valve out it yeah. can make a world of difference because that thing gets clogged up or stuck or whatever it does and then um one final one Again, something we take for granted all the time is the automatic transmission, Lou. When did that rear its beautiful face in the U.S. automotive world? Well, I'm just thinking 41, I can mm -hmm. think of. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 1941 Cadillac, but that actually followed by a year. The Oldsmobile debuted in 1940, and then Cadillac took it in 1941. So, again, that's debatable. It could be either or. But, um, again, that's something that I think that could be, along with the electric starter, probably one of the biggest uh, era-defining uh, automotive innovations because it just made 
the car is so much easier to drive for everybody involved in, in all kinds of weather conditions, all kinds of stop and go traffic, you know, no more left uh, foot on the clutch all the time. So kind of an interesting list. And uh, you didn't do too badly, Lou. So <laughs> I'm making it work here, yeah, right? That's, that's okay. The, yeah. That's I'm, the in, thing. I'm enjoying the, the, the trivia. That's today. the thing. And we'll continue the car guys report in a moment. But first, we need to take a break. We'll be right back. This week on And Friends. You take the Twinkie. I didn't know you wanted the Twinkie. I don't want the Twinkie. You want the Twinkie. I don't want it. I don't want it either, but we're going to eat it. (laughs) Wait, then why don't I have to eat it? If I've never had it and you guys are both saying you don't want it. I think it exudes raw sexual energy, like three schmucks in a room eating a Twinkie. (laughs) Come meet your new friends, Tommy. Kimmy. Sam. Right here with And Friends. And Friends, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com. Big news. There's another fine Opie show coming to the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Details are coming soon to opishows.com. On this week's Free Kicks with Adam and Rick, uh, we're going to be preparing ourselves for our big trip to London. And pip, pip, governor, I'm all set. (laughs) I don't know if you can say that. (laughs) So Adam is going to teach me in this week's episode what I should and should not say. And mostly what I should not say. That's true. And I'm really embarrassing, aren't I? (laughs) Yes, you are. All right. Let's make it snappy. (laughs) They don't say that either. That's on this week's Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. And we're back. It's that time of the uh, podcast where we want to talk about a car that uh, was either well-bought, well-sold, or for sale. And again, we come back to our friends. I don't want to get at always at Bring a Trailer, but uh, they do have some really neat stuff there. And uh, it's a very easy site to search, too. You can actually type in the car that you're looking for, and you can see which cars have crossed the block on their site and how much they've gone for. But this one, Lou, I, I counted it as well-bought just because it's an unloved Porsche design and i think it's um getting out of its redheaded stepchild status and becoming definitely more um uh, desirable these days and we're talking about the and and i say this because partly because of the engine that it's got in there this is 1990 porsche 944 s2 cabriolet so it was the 944 convertible and it had that odd for a few years in the late 80s and early 90s uh, Porsche was making a three-liter four-cylinder, which is just an enormous four-cylinder engine. I mean, that's huge. And uh, this car had the three-liter four in it, five-speed manual transmission, classic color combination, guards red, black interior, you know, 100,000 miles, but it's a Porsche, so that shouldn't be too bad. And this thing sold for ten grand. And I think, you know, a Porsche convertible, a 944, a car that I think people are going to start recognizing a little bit more. I I marked that by my estimation as a well-bought vehicle for ten grand. It looks good. It looks clean. And um, I don't know what the parts supply situation. I don't really know anything about the three-liter four-cylinder. I got a friend of mine who's got a nine. I think he's got a nine sixty-eight convertible, which is another. Porsche model that I think came after the 944. I think that was like the stopgap for a while. And that had that same three liter four, four cylinder engine in it. So I don't know, um, you know, if that engine's a dog or if it actually performs well or if it sounds weird because it's a just a giant 
size for a for a four cylinder, especially in an automotive application. You know, it's not a truck or something like that. But anyway, that was uh, on Bring a Trailer. And like I said, if you've never been to that website before, definitely check it out because they do have some very cool things on there. And there's always stuff uh, up for auction on bringatrailer.com. You've got it on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. If you like what we're doing here on this podcast, be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, like the show Back to You. It's an OPI show, legendary Chicago TV personalities Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville talk about life, travel, food, and long list of things that, well, that kind of bug them. Plus, you never know when one of their many famous pals might stop by. That is Back to You. It's an OPI show. It's available only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, and that would be RadioMisfits.com. You're listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable, and we were talking about some of the uh, early... Um, U.S. Uh, automotive innovations and Chrysler showed up on that list a couple of times. I know that Lou, you're kind of a Chrysler fan because you drive a uh, Viper, Dodge Viper. Uh, is there any reason? Uh, do you have any background or anything as far as uh, before you had the Viper? Well, you said you had an O two four Chrysler or a Dodge O two four. I would. Any other Chrysler? Because I've never owned a Chrysler. My family's never owned a Chrysler, so I don't really have much in the way of Chrysler experience. Do you have any? Well, I've, background, I've so had to speak? a little bit of everything, um, especially in the Amer- American side. Um, I've driven a Chevy. I've driven a Ford. I, I've got I've got two Fords right now. I've got uh, uh, Chrysler. Um, but uh, um, you know, I I think for me, it based like it should be for everybody is they base it on what their needs are. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, everybody I think should have a Viper at some point. They're like, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say every car guy should have a Corvette at some point. Yeah. I, I agree you with know, that. I've yeah. never had a Corvette yet, yeah. but you know, Hey, I've got a son. But, Maybe he'll get one. You know, I mean, uh, you never know. And he, as a matter of fact, he actually said to me, he's uh, 15 in November. And he said to me, he says, dad, you need to get a Corvette. And really? I, wow. Yeah. I said, why is that? He says, we need to get rid of some stuff. I seen the new mid-engine Corvette, and and and, and you need one. Okay, that's what well, he there told you go. me. Yeah, so <laughs> he's very motivated for me to have a Corvette. Okay, son, go talk your mother into it. Then yeah. we'll. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think she she'd be okay. You know, as long as it doesn't land in the lawn or something. But, um, so so Chrysler Innovation. Yeah, Chrysler. Um, you know, I've I read a book on Walter Chrysler a long time ago, uh, about five six years ago. I read a lot of American history and I like biographies. And I read, you know, I've read a handful of different things about uh, automotive people. I've you know read books on Henry Ford and whatever. But um, I know that Chrysler has been uh, a company that is known for kind of developing innovations and, and kind of going a little bit along their own. Um, beat up their own drum and some of this stuff this is mainly stuff that came out probably in the 30s to the 40s and stuff again that we take uh for granted nowadays things as simple as the torsion bar suspension which is something that was more european uh at least in the 40s and 50s and it's just a way to make the chassis um you know ride ride better it's more compact and there's a, a bunch of different uh engineering reasons to do that uh they were one of the first manufacturers to uh improve and use hydraulic fully hydraulic brakes their big um 
innovation was getting rid of uh, leather seals and using rubber, and they worked with uh, Lockheed to uh, develop that. Mm. And it said here that uh, it would be almost a decade and a half before Ford became the last American automaker to begin installing full hydraulic brakes on their cars. And this was in 1921 that Chrysler was doing it. So that's kind of neat. Something, again, that we take for granted, the replaceable oil filter, because a lot of cars didn't have oil filters back in... um, back in the day and um they uh brought it out in uh 1929 it says here wow uh replaceable oil filter is not the spin on type we think of today but it integrated into the full pressure system but rather an element that was downstream of the pump before the pressurized fluid reached the bearings but of course now because of environmental concerns we're not seeing that many more spin on filters and we're seeing a lot of the cartridge type filters coming back I think all my my modern cars have cartridge oil filters on them right now, which is interesting because it's like everything old is new again. Uh, another thing that Chrysler was probably too early in um, introducing was the aerodynamic body. We all remember the Chrysler Airflow from the late 30s, just a gorgeous car. When you see one at a car show, it's just so cool looking. But people did not respond to that because they thought it was ugly, but it was so far ahead of its time that um you know now people are are really concentrating on aerodynamics for let's fuel efficiency and noise yeah. and things like that let's stay with the airflow for a moment i recall the commercial of the airflow now i don't remember it firsthand because mm-hmm. i'm not that old but i remember seeing on youtube the commercials for that and what they would do is they'd roll it off mm-hmm. a hill yep <laughs> Yeah, it would go off a cliff, and the guy would get out of the car saying, "See, it's the body's it's, yeah. so well built." Well, that's because they were basically uh, again, and this isn't in this list, but kids uh, Chrysler, don't try this at home. Chrysler saying that um, you know they basically well here it is yeah the unibody because that's basically yeah. what it was they they were one of the first or the first to develop and and mass produce a unibody unit body construction instead of having a, a separate body on frame the unibody is just one piece of metal that's all welded together and, and riveted or riveted welded whatever you want and that's what the airflow was yeah it was this is, it was like a cage it was this yeah. steel cage that was like indestructible and yeah I, I i know exactly what you're talking about that was the thing where they would drive it off a cliff and yeah, yeah. unbelievable yeah just just unbelievable but yeah the unibody goes into that um and then they have a couple other things that <clears throat> you know another thing that we take for granted electric windshield wipers very mm-hmm. very important because mm-hmm. if you've ever driven a car with a Vacuum-operated windshield wipers, they're not worth a damn because mm. <laughs> they just don't work. Um, and electric windshield wipers, 1939, they had them, which is incredible because GM was still making cars in the 50s that had vacuum-operated wipers. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just from a safety standpoint, it's insane that they would think that, that they would still do that. But Chrysler, electric windshield wipers, and the two other things real briefly, the floating power engine mounts. Um, basically, what they did is they... Uh, went to instead of a rigid mounted engine they developed basically just the the classic what we're used to these days is rubber based uh engine mounts that would allow the engine to because you ever look at a car a lot of people don't know this but they don't know how much the, the engine actually moves around while you're driving um it might not necessarily be that noticeable but on some cars you can't actually see it because 
the the rubber is holding things in there but it allows the engine to move independently of the body so you're not getting all these weird vibrations and torques. stresses and torques and things like that and then chrysler says too the first chrysler 6 is one of the first mass-produced cars to take advantage of the improvements in knock resistance that engineers at gm had discovered with tetraethyl lead so uh chrysler started making high compression engines uh the engine in the chrysler 6 produced 68 horsepower from just 201 cubic inches of displacement owing to a great uh deal back then it's high 4.8 to 1 compression ratio which is very low nowadays but uh, of course you know compression ratios continue to go up through the 50s 60s 70s and they kind of went back down and now they're creeping back up but again just some of the things that chrysler has done over the years that you, you stuff again that we just take for granted and we don't really think about um you know these companies doing things like that well, but i'm thinking what about the high impact colors i'm wondering if chrysler came out with that first or i know saab did it in the 70s with the 99s because it was a safety thing for them they mm-hmm. thought that a car that's brightly colored is going to stand out more in in um any situation but mainly like in inclement weather cloudy days snow things like that um and i don't in and, and that's as far as I know, that's the only reason Saab did it. They don't think they did it as a as a design element. So, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. There's so many things that you could discuss about uh, the Hemi you know, Why did they do this? Yeah, well, Hemi goes kind of along with the with the high compression kind of thing, performance mm-hmm. and things like that. The aero nose on the Daytona. And yeah, the big wing on the back. The giant and that aero nose. That wasn't enduro, was it? That was metal. No, right? that was metal. Your fiberglass or was it metal? No, I think it was metal. Metal. And then the recreations are fiberglass, right? They might be because, yeah, they're probably pretty heavy. Because there's there's more recreations out there than regular ones. They're actual production ones. But And another uh, very uh, interesting little story that I stumbled across, Lou, from Route 66 magazine. We had highlighted uh, an article they did a while back talking about the guy that had the the miniature uh, micro cars that he was building out in the Arizona desert. And this is a a really cool little uh, article that came out back in 1951, Austin, uh, the company that made, um, you know, little uh, British cars, they're probably most famous for the, I believe they're the ones that made the, the taxis, the Austin taxis. But they decided that they wanted to have a promo tour for uh, one of their new models, the A40 sports convertible, a little um, kind of a MG-sized car. And they wanted to uh, bring it around the world, drive it around the world. So what they did is they started planning something called the Austin Round the World in 30 Days Tour. And the car would be flown over oceans and inaccessible countries in a DC-4 Skymaster by KLM Royal Dutch Airlines because you can't literally drive the car everywhere. Um, but they drove it as obviously as much as possible. They had two pairs of drivers. And they really didn't do anything to uh, that much to the, the car. They took out the back seat to make room for uh, more spare tires. They added some communications equipment and two large cans, one gasoline and one with water, and said the gasoline fumes would have been harmful enough, but bouncing the can across the desert in scorching heat was like carrying a time bomb, and they had put a larger gas tank in it, and other modifications included a full-length outside sun visor, a sprayer system to keep the windshield clean, fog lights, and a floor-mounted horn so the driver could keep both hands on the wheel. 
And it said the entire car is sprayed with a matte finish and metal parts painted to eliminate sun reflection. And there was actually a book that was written. I haven't looked it up to see if it's on Amazon as an out-of-print thing, but it was called Wheels Around the World by a, an author named Alan Hess. And I'm not sure what year that book came out, but it basically chronicled the journey of, the, of this Austin. It started at 11 a.m. on the morning of June 1st, 1951, and the route was as follows. London to Les Bourges, which I guess is France, Brindisi, Milan, Beirut, Lebanon, Transjordan, Syrian Desert, Baghdad, Basra, Bombay, Kanpur, uh, Al-Balahad, Calcutta, Los Angeles, Indianapolis, New York, Buffalo, Toronto, Montreal, Presswick, Birmingham, and back to London. So apparently they didn't go through Russia, it didn't seem, because I didn't uh, see, and that might have been just been because of the communist regime at the time or something like that. But they basically more or less went around the world, and they had a lot of uh, you know crowds greeting them at different places and when they would come in. And it's just a kind of a cool story that they were able to do this in a 1951 Austin. They reached uh, New York on June 17th, so they're actually running ahead of schedule because they went uh, left on June 1st, and they had a week ahead of schedule. So they picked up some time somewhere. They held press, press conferences, met with the plane and crew at Idlewhite Airport, and parked in a reserve spot for them at the Waldorf Astoria. And then it says, sir, the following afternoon, the team was stopped for speeding, although no ticket was issued, and encountered an annoying driver on its way to Corning, New York. And they don't say what the driver did, but it's... <laughs> Road rage back in 1951 with an Austin A40S uh, convertible. But they basically said they, and this is the, the stats at the end of the trip, at noon on June 22nd, the Skymaster and the Austin both came to a stop next to one another on the runway. They had made it in three weeks, so they basically beat their 30-day uh, goal, and they uh, received a check for half a crown that was like a, a uh, symbolic thing and then they said that the Austin averaged 29 miles a gallon and suffered no mechanical breakdowns which is pretty amazing because uh, British cars probably in 1950 weren't known for their <laughs> liability especially when you're in the middle of nowhere and it said its scarred exterior bore autographs from various U.S. stops but it left its mark in this country too the sports car craze was just around the corner and they said the Austin was put on display in the Royal Dutch Airlines buildings for a time and they said sadly the car no longer exists i don't know what happened to it but that's it's a cool a very cool thing it says they're austin a40 sports convertible specs a 1200 cc engine 46 horsepower aluminum body built by jensen total production 4011 from 1950 through 1953 so wow there you go pretty cool that's a great story yeah, it is a cool story and I, yeah. I i i do want to look up the the book around wheels around the world by alan hess it'll probably my guess is it's probably out of print and you might be able to find a used copy somewhere on on amazon but um, just, to, you know, they don't do stuff like that that much anymore. And it's just the adventure. If they had the video that we had, you know, the video capability, GoPros and things like that. Nowadays, you'd be following this thing live on, on, on the Internet. And it would just be a very cool thing to think about. But, uh, you know, kudos to those guys that thought of that thing. And then the drivers that actually did it, too. It's pretty neat. 
If you like listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, whether we're talking about Austin A40S sports coupes or Cadillac Blackwing V8s, we certainly would uh, like you to subscribe to our podcast. You can catch it on Informed... uh, On (laughs) The name of the podcast is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, and you can catch it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Hey, we're everywhere. Just search for Radio Misfits. You can also search directly for the Car guys report and uh, when you do please subscribe to us you'll get an automatic uh, notification every time there's new content and also take a moment or two to rate us as well we'd like to uh, get some more uh, nice reviews on apple podcasts if you could take the time to do that we would certainly appreciate it and just remember every podcast you get on the radio misfits podcast network is totally free and it's listening on your own terms anytime you want to hear it you can uh, download it listen to it on whatever device Uh, pleases you the most and you can also uh, repeat fast forward do whatever you want when you're listening to a podcast from the radio misfits podcast network this is the car guys report informed automotive i'm mark vernon along with lou costable and we're at that point in the program where we always want to highlight some things that are going on with lou and his youtube channel called my car story with lou and usually he's been giving me uh, cars that he's featured on his site, and I have to try to uh, determine which car had the most views. And I'm batting usually maybe about sixty-five to seventy percent. So you're, we'll you're, see. you're doing well. So the so the gameplay is that I throw three cars up in a week, usually a Tuesday, a Thursday, and a, a Saturday, and we let them get a little traction, and then we pause so to speak and this is obviously somebody else could video the same car and get different results but we have our game where we play so i'm going to pick three cars and the three cars that we're picking this this one in uh numerical order newest to oldest the 20 2000 excuse me the 2004 ford mustang mach 1 40th anniversary in blue with a shaker hood all right number one according to the marty report that's a one-of-one car exactly (laughs) number two the 86 chrysler lebaron town and country convertible okay okay and the last one a 79 plymouth valare roadrunner oh one of those okay so i'm gonna go with the lebaron the LeBaron is not your number one pick. What's yeah. your number two pick? The Valari. The Valari is number and two. And the Mustang. Mustang. Yeah. So the order actually came. The 79 Plymouth Valari Roadrunner surprisingly takes first place. It does. Okay. With 3,876 views. The Chrysler Town uh, Town and Country comes in second with 1844. Okay. And the, and the 40th anniversary Blue Mach 1 with the Shaker Hood comes in 1538. Wow. So, yeah, so interesting uh, uh, combinations there. That uh, I, those three cars are three cars that you kind of forget. Mm-hmm. I, I've got the picture of the Valari in my head because I've yeah. seen those. I mean, and I know I remember those. You know, but and and to have the Roadrunner edition just mm-hmm. meant you had stickers. Exactly. All over yeah. It saying, yeah. Saying and, the, and you said that was orange, right? Right. Yeah. And the and the town and country. Um, was basically the glorified K car, mm-hmm. and then it had the uh, the wood grain and the plastic. I'll call it. Uh, 
panels that yeah. were supposed to represent wood yeah. kind of stapled to the car. Uh, I was going to say that's kind <laughs> of a just, forgettable car, but yeah. it's... So, so these were kind of... And the 2000 Ford Ford Mustang was right before they started the retro version of them. So it kind of had a body style that not everybody picked up on. And as I've said before, cars keep getting better looking with age. So when you see these same cars that you kind of forgot about, you go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Well, now. that's the car that George drove in Seinfeld. Wasn't Is that it? right? Yeah, he, he he got the LeBaron convertible. Okay. And it had the wood siding. And that's the episode <laughs> where he thought that John Voigt, the actor, owned the car because he found his name in the owner's manual or something. But it was actually ended up being John Voigt, the dentist. Yeah. <laughs> was Tim Watley played by Brian Cranston, who played... Well uh, done. Yeah, so... Uh, but it's, it's a great episode, because the car actually catches on fire at some point, and <laughs> it's just a... It's a riot. But, uh, yeah, boy, what a... Is someone actually owns that car and they're proud of it and everything and they not only own it the the 86 lebaron yeah it's this person's second one wow so there's one that's the show car so there's only three left in the world so and he's got two yeah. <laughs> yeah so he's got the show car and then there's the driver okay so there's the driver to the car shows and only on special special car wow. shows. the one that's on my car story with wow is the special special one well you got to hand it to him for uh, keeping that flame lit yeah on the lebaron yeah there. I, and I, you know, that goes back. We, uh, one of the other episodes we did cars that you've kept for you yeah know, for long times of period, and um, I'm always amazed with somebody who um, recently I did a '74 Plymouth Satellite, which really, I mean, the color was um, a lighter brown, mm-hmm. shall we say? So it wasn't a striking color, yeah. and it was right past that. We're past the muscle cars, and it was kind of that '70s period. What we're going well. And it's shaped nicely, but what was amazing to me is I'm at a normal car show, so I'm not going to someone's house. And when I opened up the trunk, I said to him, I said, uh, do you happen to have any of the dealership info? This guy had everything. I mean, swatches of material and all of the dealer brochures. And I'm just amazed when somebody keeps all this stuff. I think it's good, though, when they do, because that stuff is a treasure trove when you're trying to restore a car or you want to just confirm, like, was this the color? or What did they call the color? And that way you can prove, like, no, it it did come this way or no, it didn't. You know, I love that kind of stuff. That's neat. Yeah, usually when I... I go to someone's garage i know that in their house they've usually kept those brochures if they really like our car people like yourself or myself yeah. they want all the details but when you're at a car show it's really sometimes hit or miss if somebody brings that stuff and usually it's missed they don't mm-hmm. they don't want to pull it out yeah they want to keep it in a safe spot exactly so i like to call those trunk and treats so mm-hmm. when i get that we open up the trunk and instead of seeing someone's lawn chair and a, and a spare tire we see the spare tire connected to all of the memorabilia exactly. to bring you back to that time frame of the car. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, we'll have our third and final installment of early automotive designers and their contributions to the automotive world throughout the years, as well as a heartwarming story about a 1960 Ford Falcon. That is coming up next time on the Cars, uh, Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Luke Hostable. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. Certainly appreciate you taking the time to listen to the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is the word hippo spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. 
Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place, and that is RadioMisfits.com. The proceeding was a presentation of Opi Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including OpiShows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? If you missed Los Ano or Los Los Ano and friends, here's what you missed. 140 frozen turkeys were stolen from an (laughs) Illinois market. Uh, I can't imagine stealing $2,000 worth of frozen turkeys. Maybe it's like the Thanksgiving Robin Hood. He's stealing (laughs) the turkeys to to give to the turkeys. It's hard enough to handle one frozen turkey. (laughs) Right. Here's the Thanksgiving. Let's give Jesse White a plug right now. Oh, yeah. Our guy. Most people, I bet, in this room don't know this. Of all the different things about him we don't know. Yeah. He will have collected... And delivered 10,000 turkeys. Yeah. By Thanksgiving. Yeah. Maybe and personally directed all himself. He, personally directed all. He'll be, he'll start at five in the morning yeah. and end at 10 at night. And he's done it for 25 years. I had him on my old TV show very early on, and we had him with the Jesse White Tumblers, and I watched him. He set everything up with the the kids. He is always hands-on. He's always there. I find him to be an amazing Amazing. man. And very lively. While talking, Jesse White called. (laughs) And he did. I showed you. He was calling. I said, should I take it? So he just said that it's 50 years, 15,000 turkey snaps. Oh, no. Wow. And then he called just to make yeah. sure. I said, I can't talk. I'm on the radio. <laughs> radio Misfits. Get more. Lausano and Friends. Lausano. Now on Lausano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lausano or whatever it's called. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. From your mom's basement. My mother has been kind enough to allow us to do the show from her basement. Uh, every, any kind of hummel that you need is right here behind us. Yes, the, there's the, a the, shrunk. We call that a shrunk. And that's her backup shrunk. Come on by. I'll make a, I'll make a sandwich. And she did. I love the fact that she made you bagels and, and uh, locks. Yeah, and, and you got nothing. And gave, she gave me squat. <laughs> she gave me squat. Oh, are those pickles on the top yes. of those? Yes. Yes, this is first class no, here. Is, it's not just sandwiches. Um, they're cut into tiny little triangles. Right, right. So they're like finger sandwiches. This could be afternoon tea. If Queen Elizabeth came in here, right. she'd be perfectly at home. Right. And and we could put her on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And we could show her a hummel. <laughs> the, yeah. The second class hummels. The, the bench, the hummels that are on the bench. We'd bring the first class I, ones down think here. So. Tony Lasano podcast and Opi production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radiomisfits.com I'm Steve Baskerville. From Back to You, join me on the Island of Radio Misfits Holiday Special. Coming this holiday season to opishows.com.